Quiet on the set. In the studio of WHUPLP Hillsboro. Welcome to Murmur. My name is Robert Malazzo, and over the next hour, I'll explore where culture meets craft. Today on Murmur, artist for a day, traveler, storyteller, Anthony Bourdain is with us. Welcome. Murmur. Welcome back to Murmur. Robert Malazzo here with you. I am the founder of the Modern School of Film. With you every week. Also evergreen with you. iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. You can subscribe and download. Or, and, or, and, or. That's important. You can do two things. This is binary. You can go to our website, murmurradio.com. Check us out. Check what we do out. Send us an email, social handles at MSFMurmur, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, stuff like that. See, when you buy in to the show, <laughs> there's a lot of responsibility. Murmur Radio. Look. Today on the show... Professor Emeritus of the Modern School of Film, Anthony Bourdain. Always love talking to Tony. Um, the last time I saw him, we, he and I did a chat in New York. We were discussing his love for the film Goodfellas. And he's always fun and robust and candid. And we will get all of those colors, I'm sure, today when we talk to Tony uh, about today's topic, which is, is there an art to life is there an artistry to life and this is a topic I think subtextually is always present in in my thought process and this show certainly as we speak with artists and as I asked them put them very much on the spot and asked them are you an artist and I'll ask Tony today if he's an artist uh, and I'll ask him what he is I'm guessing if you're listening to this you know who Anthony Bourdain is storyteller raconteur traveler I wonder, you know, in a day, in an age now where every day we open up our news and look at our news and listen to our news and see splayed before us the guts of human behavior, more so than ever, 
does there need to be a fence around this concept of an artistry to life? And I mean that clinically, not judgmentally. However, if you hear it judgmentally, perhaps that's that's not so bad in the bargain either. Is there an art to life? I ask myself this, and we're in we're in an interesting state. We've been in this Yelp nation, this compare and despair. We're always wondering what other people are doing and buying and seeing and traveling and Instagram and you know everyone's life is so fascinating. I'm not talking about that artistry. I'm talking about the approach to life, the choices we make as individuals and human and, and human beings. Is that in itself that process? Is that art? Is there an artistry? I've had guests on who I consider men and women who have sort of full multidimensional elements to their life, professional, personal, artistic, legacy, and present tense attributes that I find interesting. And and potentially all my guests are, to me, at least when they come in, and often more interesting on their way out, certainly. And hopefully interesting to you. But I wonder, I consider these men and women artists of a kind, but I wonder, is life an art? The decisions we make, there are, there's no shortage of literary metaphors considering art as a, as, or life as a performance from Shakespeare, all the world's a play or all the world's a stage and a play. All the, you need a play on the stage in this context. All the world's a stage. Or was that Rush? <laughs> was that Getty Lee? Uh, Shakespeare, the Buddhists actually, there's a really great Buddhist totem. Buddhism of, often references life as the passing show. So if, if we can ingest and accept these metaphors of life as performance, do we need to submit to the fact that life in, in itself and our choices are a form of art? This idea of a da- our daily bread of human behavior, people behaving badly, people behaving well too. Let's, but I think the the underbelly of it has provoked the most thought in me. Uh, people behaving in a circumspect way, celebrated people, and it's funny. It's often those celebrated figures that lead us to consider the anonymous figures in our life. So if there's any if if there's any value in celebrity now is a, is a decent time because these expo- exposés of behavior may allow us or entreat us to look more locally at our own behaviors and people around us is there an art to life i reason that if we looked more closely at how we treat people you know not to sound sanctimonious again i want to look at it on a behavioral level the treatment of people on a daily basis is that art is there an art form to how we talk to people how do you know our our manners our manner and i'm not talking manners in terms of our speed of our gait the speed of our walk i'm talking about do we hold the door open uh how we behave how we comport ourselves yes maybe our posture is that part of the art of life the silhouette of life tony bourdain is an, is a there's no there's no guest i could have summoned more apropos to this topic because he's someone in a public way that lives a life seemingly in public but not in a way not in a not in a tabloid-esque way he literally is a traveler he literally is a storyteller a life storyteller i think this is a word that i know when i've spoken to bourdain before it's one of his favorite words is story so i think he's going to naturally glom onto that versus any 
vocational appellation that doesn't have a point of view to it. <laughs> he does. He seems to re, 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 rebuke any any tag or crown that doesn't have story attached to it. Now, story is is art, right? So if Tony calls himself a storyteller, if you call yourself a storyteller of a kind, is that not art? Are you not an artist? So I'll ask him if he's an artist, but I want to find the borderlines of this is life and art because if if maybe if we accept that and embrace that, maybe th- that level of self-consciousness can be a benefit on a behavioral level. And I'm not talking about what whiskey we drink or what shoes we wear. That to me is is surface. That's egoism. And yes, art can be surface. Pop art, you know, there are, there are surface artifacts of 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 the word itself. But I'm looking. So we'll look at that. Yes, I, I don't. I can't resist that because I know when I speak to Bourdain, we're going to talk about movies, movie love. <laughs> I, mean, he, he, I think it was it's in his rider that when he comes, when we're in, uh, in a conversation, we must talk about cinephilia. So we will. But I'm going to trick him and ask him about life as an art. I suspect it is. I think it is. And and I will also say for those of you worried that your behavior is not up to the standard of art, consider what art is. Art has a really full uh, acceptance system, the widest possible berth for behavior. But I think it's important, the uh, not the intent as an actor, but the, the consciousness of action that life requires is an art. I think it's a beautiful concept. I wonder if, if you believe it. I wonder if Tony believes it. I believe it. (laughs) I shouldn't come to any conclusion until I speak to him, but I'm funny that way. I believe it. Today on the show, Anthony Bourdain. Now this. Curtains up. Know that all of nature is but a magic theater, that the great mother is the master magician, and that this whole world is peopled by her many parts. From the Upanishads. It's so magical, I don't know why, to go into a theater and have the lights go down. It's very quiet and then the curtains start to open. Maybe they're red and you go into a world. It's beautiful when it's a shared experience. It's still beautiful when you're at home and your theater's in front of you, though it's not quite as good. It's best on a big screen. That's the way to go into a world. The Art Life. In high school, I read Robert Henri's book, The Art Spirit, which prompted the idea of the art life. For me, living the art life meant a dedication to painting, a complete dedication to it, making everything else secondary. That, I thought, is the only way you're going to get in deep and discover things. So anything that distracts from that path of discovery is not part of the art life in that way of thinking. Really, the art life means a freedom, and it seems, I think, a hair selfish. But it doesn't have to be selfish. It just means that you need time. So the art life means a freedom to have the time for the good things to happen 
there's not always a lot of time for other things. So in high school, David Lynch famously read and seemed to hyper-record Robert Henri's 1923 book, The Art Spirit. Of that book, Lynch said, anything that distracts from the path of discovery is not the art life. The art life means freedom, and it seems, I think, a hair selfish, but it doesn't have to be selfish. It just means that you need time. You know, I always think about this idea, can we live an artistic life? Is there an art to life? If I had to isolate anyone, according to this idea, it would be today's guest. He is a raconteur, a flambeur, and a connoisseur. I got my French uh, thesaurus out today, Tony, for you. Uh, please <laughs> please welcome to the Modern School Film, uh, professor of the Modern School Film, please welcome to Murmur, uh, Mr. Anthony Bourdain. Hey, Anthony, welcome to the show, man. Thanks, always a pleasure. Hey, what do you think about that? Do you think there's an art to life? A, a way we live, you know, a fashion, an approach to life that would you would call art without without saying it's a good or bad thing. Is there an art to life? I don't know. Um, it's pretty to think so. Uh, I would like very much, so, but I think uh, you know the ability to make art is such an extraordinary uh, privilege that requires time and the indulgence of many people around you. Uh, we have to live in the real world. You know, practical matters do come first. Uh, they should come first. Uh, you know, most people, no matter how creative, don't have the opportunity or the freedom uh, to be creative. Um, so that that's something, I mean, I'm aware of every time I make anything. I don't know whether I'm art, uh, but, but uh, you know, when I make beautiful things, when I try to make beautiful things, or, I, you know, whether I'm trying to write even a competent sentence or <laughs> make it a, an hour of television that I, that I'm proud of, I'm very aware of the fact that I'm lucky and that it's a, it is a privilege rather than a right. That L word, man, it's the most common word on this show, and it gives me pause because I'm a teacher and I can't teach luck. But let's talk about luck first. How, how much of anything is luck? Do you, do you believe in luck? It's huge. Oh. It's huge. You know, the circumstances in which you were born to start with. Um, you know, I, I enjoy an extraordinary level of freedom uh, in making my show. Um, you know, even most people in my, you know, in the television industry, I mean, almost all of them live and operate under conditions of, of, of great constraint, uh, compromise, and frankly, fear. Mm. Um, you know, they, they want to keep doing what they're doing. They want to be on television. They want to stay on television. And that requires 
giving people what they want or giving people what you think they want uh, again and again and again. And that's really something I've never had to consider. <laughs> and that is, a, that is a huge, huge advantage and a, a joy and, and, again, a privilege. Um, so, luck, you know, I was lucky enough to, to tumble into this, spectacularly lucky in my case, because, you know, two years before I went on television, a few months before I went on television, I was still dunking French fries uh, at the end of a 30-year rather checkered career doing that with no expectation that I would you know, ever be able to pay my rent on time. Mm. So to find myself in a position that I, I rather quickly found myself pretty much let loose on the world with cameras and a bunch of talented people who know what to do with them, uh, you know, who gets to do that? Do, do you ever get that French fry s- smell out of your hands? I mean, what's the key? Is it lemon juice? Is it tomato sauce? How do, uh, how do you get that out? Time. Time. <laughs> airborne, air, airborne grease. Uh, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a function of time. There's no washing the way. There's no H-Y in that time, right? It's just T-I-M-E. No. Okay. We're speaking with – got to always check these food references with you. We're, talk, we're speaking with Anthony Bourdain. I, I want to isolate a little bit more on this luck. Sorry to drill down. It's just a word that leaves me sleepless. What about timing? Is that a different trope? Is that a different tool? Is that an, a different instrument than luck? Timing, also important, uh, and I've benefited very, very much from that. I mean, my first gig on TV was Food Network, who were, in many ways, my existential enemy, uh, and and the feeling was probably, institutionally anyway, mutual. I've been not doing nothing but trashing their stable stars. And yet I found myself uh, at a meeting with two uh, powerful, um, uh, very smart women who ran the company at that particular time during this brief, weird window, uh, I think they were feeling mixed emotions about the kind of work they'd been creating or overseeing. And I think in some small way, they saw me as a way to undermine that, as a, as a way to pervert the whole enterprise. Uh, I'm not going to say expiation or mitigation, but I think there was a it was a devilish um, uh, troublemaking instinct, uh, a, dis- a desire to disrupt what they had, you know, to a great extent built the network around and built their careers around, and this impish desire to do something different and critical of of their own stuff. Now that's a timing matter, you know. As I quickly found when they left the company and you know, more ordinary a regime came in, they immediately saw me as what I was, you know, the enemy to be changed, altered, or ultimately expunged. So I very much benefited from timing in that case. I benefited from it at Travel Channel, and I certainly benefited from it at CNN. I mean, again, it would have been unthinkable uh, had had the stuff been I differently, had the personnel been different, uh, you know, who could have predicted that a news network would, would bring me on board and give me an hour of unlimited freedom to go anywhere I want in the world and, and make the kind of, you know, frequently transgressive and disturbing and obviously off-brand material that I'm, I'm, I'm producing. Mm. With, with that said, so what does one do? One puts one's head down and, and makes ch- choices in their life and the rest is with the gods? I mean, the rest is with the, 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 the zeitgeist. And, and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to re- reduce, yeah. I'm trying to reduce but, what you say. Yeah. yeah. Is that it? Yeah. 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 Damn it. Uh, um, no, you don't you have to. You know, and uh, let's face it, uh, 
you know, you know, all the cliches are true uh, in the sense that. You know, uh, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Oh, you know, that's kind of true to a point. Uh, you know, it sure helps if somebody in your orbit knows somebody who knows somebody who's going to get you in the door to to even have the opportunity to pitch a story. Um, you know, it helps to be, uh, you know, uh, uh, born into a white middle-class family who could afford uh, a good school. Um, it, uh, you know, you, you were born with certain advantages and if you don't recognize that, uh, you know, you're living in a dream world. I, I, I want to look at, a little this is not a fair world. It is not a, le- it is not a level playing field. We need only to look around in the industry and see this played out in gruesome fashion everywhere. W- when did you learn the world wasn't fair? And I'm being, that's a legitimate question. Uh, no, no, no. I mean, very early. What? Very early, when, when? Uh, the Nixon re-election, you know, <laughs> middle of Watergate, uh, you know, I was living in a hippie wonderland in my head. I thought, you know, the, you know, well, man, the revolution's coming, things are going to be different. And, you know, everybody, you know, all of the Watergate stuff was out there and being discussed in the news. And then he won again mm-hmm. by, a, you know, by a landslide. And I thought, wow, you know, life sucks and it's hopeless and everything I thought I I believed in is in fact, you know, uh, completely ridiculous. Um, you know, Hunter Thompson wrote about this very uh, eloquently. Um, you know, people forget the romantic side of, uh, of Thompson and there's that line about he's standing in Vegas looking, I think, west and, and saying this is where the wave broke and rolled back. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I had, I had that moment, you know, uh, with the Nixon re-election. I realized there ain't ever going to be a revolution. We, we, we may not even deserve it. Uh, we've been kidding ourselves. You know, there's cold steel under there, and, and, and you know, we've been living in a, in a dreamland. Uh, just to look at the, again, pardon the, the word choice, the chopsticks of this all. Um, what, were you taught, mm-hmm. what were you taught as a child? You know, I, I was thinking, as you, I know the Ramones are your house band, but I was thinking of uh, Joe Strummer. Uh, one of my favorite Strummer quotes is, uh, no input, no output. So it, it's, you know, mm-hmm. you, you probably meant it a little differently, but what was modeled for you? I know some of your heroes were criminals, and I want to get to that. I mean, in the sense of a, yeah. a, a, a literary poetic version of that. But w- w- did you grow up thinking, the, you know, were you learning in school that if you behave a certain way, a certain thing will happen? Yes. And who, ta- what, grew up, who taught you that? Well, my parents uh, and society. I grew up in, uh, you know, uh, you know, my parents were Kennedy Democrats. Mm. It was New Frontier, boundless optimism. We're going to make the world a better place. All children will live better lives or are entitled to better lives than their parents. And they will get them if you just, you know, follow basic rules, you know, um, you know, that, that, that is the, you know, I was encouraged creatively to, to, to enjoy film, to be curious about books, uh, to take pleasure in music, to be open to all of these things. Um, you know, the, the, the living rooms of my friends at every income level, you know, had, you know, the latest books, magazines, people, um, you were encouraged to, uh, be engaged culturally, um, because there was hope that this would be a good thing that you would in some way benefit, become better by doing these things. I, I think that attitude long ago disappears. I mean, we're living in very annual times now. It's, you know, you don't want to be, uh, you know, if you're writing for president, you know, you better not admit to ever having seen a Truffaut film, much less <laughs> speaking French. Uh, that ain't no way to get elected uh, these days. Um, right. But, uh, but this, this is, you know, heading into the Nixon years, this was 
what I believed, that we were at the dawn of something new and important of activism, of equal rights, of feminism, of, of uh, you know, the, of, and, 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 you know, I believe that, you know, we're going to reject some things about the old world, but, but these basic, you know, city on a hill, uh, um, you know, a, a vision, optimistic, idealistic vision for the future, you know, I believe that uh, up until a point. Then I got angry. You know, mm. I guess around the time of Nixon, living through Nixon was a deeply end of Vietnam War, you know, seeing that play out. Um, you know, I uh, seeing Battle of Algiers was a big uh, was a big moment for me wow. as far as becoming sort of radicalized. Wow. You know, I thought the French were the good guys. They yeah. were always the good guys in the movies. And then suddenly there's French guys in this very documentary looking film, you know, hanging people upside down and torching them and shocking them, <laughs> torturing them. Uh, you know, I came out of that like, wow, yeah. you know, maybe there are no good guys. H had you seen Jean-Pierre Melville films yet? I mean, you, I know Bob Le Flambeur is a favorite of yours, but, you know, in the sense of anti-heroes, I want to get in, I want to rock into the French of it all. But um, mm -hmm. uh, what about the, let's stay in it. We're speaking with Anthony Bourdain. Let's, let's talk a little bit about the French of it all. I was throwing some words, you know, raconteur, flambeur, connoisseur. Uh, Orson, mm -hmm. Orson Welles once said his favorite word was amateur. Uh, which is, you know, it has a Latin piece as well. And he said, amateur comes from love, um, to love, mm. to love. W what about the way of life? Let's say of the French as a in a sense. Was that romantic for you at a time? You know, did you ever key into that being a lover of film? Now we're looking at the, the, the mm. Battle of Algiers of it all, which is a political piece. But let's say the romance of it all. Let's say Bob Le Flambeur. W was that lifestyle? Right. And what is that lifestyle? Cigarettes dangling from the lip? Well, what is that lifestyle? Uh, dark, cynical, um, uh, world-weary. Uh, of course, I aspired very much to be world-weary, like Bob Le Flambeur. Or, uh, you know, by 18, I thought I'd live the, you know, band of things I've seen. You know, I, I saw myself ludicrously as, uh, you know, an aging cynic, um, you know, embittered by a cruel world that I, I was only just, that you know, only recently come to terms with. Um, the French model, I think, the French film, French, you know, French films for me then, as an adolescent, were very much about style. Mm. Um, the attitude was not something that I really fully related to because, you know, I, I hadn't been born in a country that had been invaded so many times, and had been humiliated, and, and uh, you know, uh, you know, the French worldview is much cynical, uh, you know, because look at their history. Um, a very divided politically, you know, a country uh, with very different views on on sex and love and relationships. Um, I didn't really pick up on that as a uh, way to look at the world as much as I I, I definitely responded to the style. Mm. Um, yeah. Maybe the first the first um, uh, my father was a very very extraordinarily passionate about Truffaut's uh, Four Hundred Blows and. You know, I remember the enthusiasm with which he shared that film uh, uh, very early on in my life. But, you know, uh, later on, seeing uh, Melville, uh, for instance, uh, Godard, uh, I responded very much to the style, the, mm. the, the careless, carelessness, cynicism, um, 
the rule breaking, uh, dancing in restaurants, jump cut style. Yeah, right, it was really right. it was a, it was. A, I reacted to the surface much more than the substance. What did they get right? You know, in the sense of because I'm looking at this artist's life. You know, the life of art, being an artist. What what did they get mm-hmm. right? Was it the laissez faire? Was it the uh, slow down? And you know, Americans seem to be on eleven all the time. You know, are the do, right. do the French well, still I get that thing? You know, enjoy watch rather than run. I, I think yeah. much like much like I think the way that the the, the, the French, uh, you know, uh, recognize the artistry in directors like John Ford, uh, Douglas Sirk, directors who we we saw as populist entertainment, the way they they saw an auteur. Uh, behind uh, these films uh, was thrilling and reflected in the film. And in fact, by looking at French films, I started to, uh, reading French film criticism, I started appreciating, you know, American directors that, you know, I've been seeing right. on TV. You know, right. a, a John Ford film wasn't just a cowboy film anymore. Uh, so Howard the, Hawks, the they really, deep, yeah. The deep yeah. love, yeah. yeah, the deep love of American films was, was, was that, that was so much part of, of uh, the Nouvelle Vague, for instance, was... Uh, was thrilling to me um, and inspiring to me and made me think about film in general. And then the Italian stuff uh, was incredibly important. I mean, where I really started to think about substance was probably early Antonioni, and uh, I mean, which was so uh, mature and I mean, erotic and, you know, was about, you know, some really deep stuff. I think maybe what was most thrilling also about the French was they changed the film language. Mm. I mean, the jump cut, you know, it forced us to, or it, it, it allowed us to, to tell a story in a completely new way that was hugely important. I mean, the way we perceive, uh, you know, a plot or action with that sort of, you know, jump cut, suddenly we're in another room, uh, in another conversation. Wow, that was liberating. Mm. Yeah, it's funny, you know, I was thinking of you saying you wanted to be world-weary. Are you world-weary now? I, I would say without, if you, as if you weren't listening, you are. Are you? Um, honestly, I've become much more, in my old age, I've become much more, uh, I guess, uh, I'm willing to, you know, I'm willing to take that leap of faith in a way that, uh, again and again, regardless of consequences, because I've learned that the, there's a joy in being hopeful, even if the overwhelming likelihood is that you will be kicked in the teeth. Uh, taking that chance, um, you know, daring to put yourself out there, uh, daring to risking being hurt or disappointed. Um, I, 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 I think life has taught me that increasingly that is worth, there are rewards to that, you know, to shut yourself down and close yourself off, off to the world and be world weary and cynical as a, as a, as a, uh, you know, as a, as a business model or lifestyle model, uh, you, you deprive yourself of everything. Well, That's no way to look at the world. That's no way to interact with other people. I, I was throwing the word raconteur around. It's one of my favorite words. And I think people dismiss it because it has almost a, a gambling uh, sort of subtext to it, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it really means storyteller. And we've lost that. Would you say you're a raconteur of a kind, a modern raconteur? Yeah, I'm, I am a storyteller for sure. Um, I was since I was a kid when my parents would bring me downstairs to have me tell a story or, or, or just, you know, babble away in front of, uh, in front of their guests. You know, uh, I understood if I wanted attention, you know, I had to be able to tell a little story in a way that was, was going to hold the audience. 
and you know, whether I'm writing or making television or whatever I do, essentially it's, I'm telling a story. Mm. I mean, that's, that's all I'm doing. Just like, you know, a caveman around the fire, um, <laughs> or, you know, or cooks in the kitchen, uh, you know, uh, in between lunch and dinner, you know, you're, you're entertaining each other with, with stories, you know, uh, real or true. Are you a narrator? Uh, no, uh, I am not. Uh, I have a point of view always, and that will always, uh, I'm not a journalist. I'm not a narrator. I'm an untrustworthy uh, <laughs> yes. uh, right. narrator because right. I'm gonna, you know um, I'm just not interested in uh, ex- I hate exposition. Right, right. Well, I was thinking, you know, your imprimatur, man. I, I busted out the thesaurus for you today. Your but your imprimatur has changed and evolved. I mean, Anthony Bourdain presents whether it's a book or a film, or you know, you've become in a weird way. You know, there's there's this sort of Martin Scorsese presents, and that gives its sign of the cross over something. You know, are, are you? Well, I mean, angelical you... in my love of certain things. And in a perfect world, I would come over to your house and everybody else's house in America and force them to watch, you know, Bob LaFlambeau. And I would sit there and watch it with them, making sure that they were, you know, enjoying it and paying attention. You know, that's a sort of twisted uh, uh, way to be. But, 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 you know, that's kind of, uh, that's very satisfying to me. You know, if I could turn somebody on to like, you know, a, a, a song I like or a book that I like, that, that makes me happy. You once said really interestingly that Julia Child influenced the way you grew up and your entire value system. Um, yeah. And she's a fascinating figure. And I don't know if you've read recently, uh, Netflix, uh, um, Ho is developing a series about her where mm-hmm. it's a fictionalized work where she's a spy because she, was, she wasn't a spy as such. She did work for the OSS. Right. She worked for the OSS, which uh, is the CIA. As did her, yes, as did her husband. Right. Yeah. Right. The right. precursor to the CIA wartime. Well, when you said she, uh, she influenced yeah, I, I your value system. Of, yeah. You know, uh, Julia Child dropping out of a plane, you know, <laughs> at night over France with a knife between her teeth, uh, you know, <laughs> that would be completely awesome. Like, you know, sort of, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at it now, you know, okay, figure it's, it's the French chef and John Wick, you know, uh, like that would be completely awesome. But look, I don't need to fictionalize Julia Child's life. It was awesome and incredibly influential, uh, probably the most influential cook you know, ever in American history. And, um, uh, you know, I, I don't think she could be acknowledged enough. Well, you're a frustrating figure, not a, as a human, because I, I think you're a really cool guy, but in the sense of you, you, you seem, you tow this really interesting line between having aspiration, not having aspiration, but being celebrated for it all. And I think, you know, we're in this narcissistic world, you may have noticed recently, um, that people want you to know how they're living their life. They want you to know they're jumping out of airplanes with knives in their teeth. Right. You seem to toe this line where you almost could care less if the cameras are there, but the cameras happen to be there. So I guess my point is, how, how do, what's the, what is the, what is the advocacy? Is it live your life or can, are certain people just unconvincible? Is certain people living, you know, compare and despair? Yes. We live in this thing, compare and despair, but everyone's comparing and despairing. Can you give us some balm, some antidote for this narcissistic uh, raison d'etre? Again, damn French. Um, I don't know. I mean, in a perfect world, I wouldn't be on television, but would able would be able to do all of the things that I'm doing. I just wouldn't have to myself be on television. I would make the show. I just wouldn't be in it. 
You know, I would tell stories, but it would be all B-roll and no me. Um, you know, the things that give me the greatest joy in my life are entirely private, and I'm not putting them up anywhere. You know, you're, you're not going to see that. You know, a perfect life is one that doesn't need to be uh, shared with, with uh, people you don't know. Um, it's fulfilling in and of itself. Mm. I'm not that kind of person. I need to make stuff. I don't know that I need to be celebrated. In fact, I, it, it, I talk, uh, I've talked about this a lot with other people in the, in the industry. And, uh, you know, they work their whole lives to, you know, get, you know, get, get a, the award for, you know, make for directing, for instance. And, and, and yet they're completely, at, at the end of the day, that, that, that gives them no satisfaction at all. Mm-hmm. They don't really know who the, who would, whose approval they want. Uh, if, it, if, if, if it's anybody's, it's, it's someone very private and, 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 you know, very personal. Um, you know, it's. I don't feel a need to be celebrated. Uh, I just want to continue getting away with what I'm doing. Uh, you know, and if if uh, yeah, I guess that's in a lot of ways the price you pay to keep doing what you want to do and making the things you want to make uh, is to you know be recognized and celebrated. You know, that's a small price to pay compared to, you know, cooking brunch every day. Um, but really, it's all about keeping this machine going that allows me to make these things that I want to make, that I need to make. But, but those the, in the making, and you know, because you're an artist, and I'm going to ask you, the last question of the day is, are you an artist? But I think you're an artist, and, and does, an audi- does an artist need an audience? So going back to the, ebbing back to this idea of the cameras aren't on, or the cameras are on, but you're not seen, do you need, a, do you need an audi- audience? And I don't mean that in a, piece, in a, in a vanity piece or an ego piece, but do, right. does your work need an audience and i'm not just talking about people in the living room well as a practical matter i need an audience so that someone will pay (laughs) for me to go out and shoot indulgent hours of of you know obscure film references and uh you know with the panavision lenses (laughs) uh in remote parts of italy and southeast asia and if people aren't watching nobody's paying for that um, that is as it, that's simply a practical matter as far as I'm concerned. If, um, I don't really care if I mean I, I well understand and have for many years that you know sometimes if you know I did a, a Paraguay show years ago that that, that you know was a was a, an homage to the Limey, uh, a film that you know maybe 98 percent of my audience has never seen or heard of. Uh, you know I'm referencing uh, you know uh, sequences from films that no one has watched i'm <laughs> i'm presenting hours of television that are clearly besotted with cinematographers that no one's ever ever heard of i mean um but th- that's exactly what makes me happy um with the nuts and bolts of doing those things and um you know if i have to be, you know I, look it's nice when you're celebrated by people who do what you do and understand the technical aspects of what it took or how crazy and stupid it was to do, uh, you know, a, you know, the kind of show we did, or, or get a shot, a, a particular shot, or, or to not do something that everybody else does, uh, that makes me happy. Um, to be celebrated, to be famous, to be recognizable. Uh, uh, oh God, I, I don't need it. I don't want it, but I, but I'll take it because it lets me do all of this. Have you ever been to Yokohama? 
Uh, I haven't. No. Uh, in in Yokohama, there's a there's a tattoo artist uh, named uh, Hiroshi the Third. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Uh, he mm-hmm. he does the uh, yakuza tattoos. And, uh, yeah. and he talks about the art of the Yakuza tattoo. I was thinking about you because they they don't show their tattoos. Uh, they believe that no, they can't. Right, that tattoos are private. But I want to throw one idea and get your response as we say goodbye. This is a quote from Hiroshi. He said, "Criminality doesn't interest us." Neither does plastic intimidation. We don't get tattoos to show off masculinity. I believe the beauty is in what you can't see. Now, aside from the legislative idea of identifying a Yakuza in public, I thought that was a beautiful idea, the tattoos that people will never see. And I'm not asking this because I know you have tattoos, but where does that register with you in terms of this idea of inward, outward? Yeah, I agree. That, that 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 totally speaks to me. You know, my favorite tattoo is the one that you know um, it's basically not visible. Uh, you know, I knew no one would ever see it except so, you know someone I love. Yeah. And it, I know I did it for someone I love. Um, uh, so yes, deeply personal for me and maybe one other person. Uh, that's that's uh, the most satisfying tattoo to get. What's fascinating in your photos, uh, particularly your photos, and again, photos are misleading, but what's particularly interesting is you rarely smile, or you smile and, you know, you you have a specific, everyone has a specific smile, this just right. this just in. Uh, but, you know, it's interesting, you, you see, you know, you, you're planting a flag in Antarctica, but you have this almost Charlie Brown-like expression on your face. And I mean, uh-huh. that, I mean that as a compliment, I'm just reporting back to you. Um, are, yeah. are you happy? Uh, in general, yes, I'm very happy lately, but, uh, you know, when you see a general smile, I mean, a real genuine big grin on my face, it's, it's almost always a very private moment. Right. You know, if you see me laugh right. on the show, it's because something's really funny and affected me. You know, if I'm standing on the South Pole, look, I feel really good about being there. Um, uh, but it's cold, you know, and it took me, you know, six hours in a C-130 cargo hold to get there. Um, you know, to beam idiotically at the camera with a a natural grin. Um, I don't see any reason why I should give people that. Uh, it's like looking at the camera. They say, cheese. Why? You know, why? This is where I was a few seconds ago. I wasn't smiling then. Camera's on. I'm supposed to smile just cause. I, I mean, I bl- that seems like a betrayal. I, bl- right? I, I blame the French again uh, for cheese. I think they probably started that. I mean, blame in a, in a, in a piece of adoration. Uh, the, the, yeah. We're speaking <laughs> with Anthony Bourdain. The, the, the last beat before we let you go, uh, Tony, um, I, and this is a quote I'm sure, you know, we talk about Wells, uh, Marlena Dietrich, uh, Touch of Evil. What does it matter what you say about people? You know, one of the great, oh, yes. I mean, one of the great, you know, Turns. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the treatment of people as an art, you know, strictly as an art, mm-hmm. just to put rails around it. Because I always think, you know, watching news and I'm thinking, you know, watching war and watching political scrums, uh, to put it mildly, thinking, you know, do we do we look at how we treat one another day to day enough? Um, do you think about that? Do you think about on a daily basis how we treat one another? And you're a New Yorker. I'm a New Yorker. I know mm-hmm. I know what it means to be nice to the guy who's going to give you your New York Post and your coffee every day. I know that dance. Right. And I like it. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not a oft. You're not paying oft. You're just it feels right. it feels good. But what about the art of treatment of other people? Do you feel you know? Do we need to reexamine this? I I mean do do you think about I think we are. Yeah, we, we we are very much. It's very much part of the part of the conversation right now. Yeah. 
Um, it's something I'm thinking a lot about lately. I look back and I like to think that I was a good person at every point in my life. I mean, I know otherwise. I know that at various points, you know, as a chef, that I was uh, so driven, so frightened, so angry uh, uh, that, you know, uh, I was indifferent uh, or, 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 you know, actively unpleasant, rude. Um, I do not consider the people around me. I think it's a risk of any creative enterprise, particularly when you're driven. If you're making TV or you're writing a book, I think the overwhelming likelihood is that you're self-obsessed, self-involved. You're thinking about yourself all the time and oblivious or indifferent to the fact that around you, people are getting hurt. If you're in a position of power as a director, as a producer, uh, as a chef, all it takes is a sideways glance to ruin somebody's week. Yeah. So it's easy to forget those things. So as much as I like to think, I was always a good dude, you know, uh, no matter how hard the work day was, you know, we could all get together, everybody on our team and have a beer. And, uh, you know, it's all one big happy family. We all understand and love and respect each other um, or, or at least respect. But the fact is, uh, as you stumble through life, as I have stumbled through life, I have been indifferent. I have been insensitive. I have been cruel. I have been thoughtless. Um, uh, you know, and, and uh, I think what we're seeing in the, in, in the papers and in the media is, uh, you know, totally relevant uh, uh, to reexamining that. You know, who's in, in our, as we careen through our lives, whether it's, you know, uh, managing a, a Denny's or uh, making a making a film. You know, who who's getting hurt? Who's going home feeling bad in our wake? I think is something that that uh, we're increasingly thinking about, and I think that's a good thing. And however much I like to look back, I mean, yes, about you know, how do you want to be remembered? You know, uh, what do you want them to say about you? What kind of legacy do you want to leave? Really, the only one I'd like to leave is, you know, something that says, you know, he wasn't such a bad bastard after all. <laughs> um, that would be enough for me. I don't need to be celebrated for or remembered for my work. You know, on balance, a pretty decent guy would be something that I feel really good about. Uh, you know, and um, I have, you know, I've tried and I'm sure I have failed. Is, but, but, you know, I've genuinely tried. Is, does that come close to this idea of is there an art to life, how we treat people? Or is that too uh, uh, Judeo-Christian? You know, is, is that too quaint? Um, or is that part of it? Is that part of this idea that, you know, it, it's funny. We're in this world of the most fascinating, you know, we see whiskey commercials, drink this whiskey. Mm. You know, it's Centauri time and all that stuff. But but really, is it is it closer to the sacred idea of the art of life? how we treat people or how we consider and we will fail as you say we will fail but mm-hmm. but can we need to try and to strategize how we treat people is that a valuable yes yeah uh, well you know it helps if you believe something i mean i'm not a religious person um you know to see somebody who is both deeply religious and not hypocritical who, who genuinely you know uh, wants to you know uh be their keeper uh you know help you know, help people on their way, uh, you know, do no harm. I mean, these are all principles that, that you know, I think we should all aspire to. Um, uh, and, and, and I, you know, I guess, yes, it would be a real act of artistry. Uh, you, you, there would be an art to life if you managed to live your life, achieve any kind of creative satisfaction or professional satisfaction, and also be a 
person throughout relentlessly, uh, you know, wow, that, that, that would be a truly extraordinary uh, thing. And, I, you know, I like to think, uh, you know, maybe I'm naive, but I like to think that, you know, I've met a few people who've managed to do that. Um, you know, uh, and I think that's a good, uh, that's a good template. It's a good model to aspire to, uh, you know, clearly we could do a better job at it. I know you're on a tarmac somewhere, but hey, are, are you an artist? No, I'm not. Uh, I'm a, I'm a craftsman, storyteller and an enthusiast. Uh, I'm not an artist. I mean, I think at my best, uh, you know, I'm a guy who, uh, what's the word? You know, uh, somebody who makes pastiches. I think I have good taste in films and cinematographers, and um, uh, but I'm not a, a an artist or a great innovator. Um, uh, so I mean, short answer is no, I'm not. Fuck Baby Driver, still. Uh, it was not a film I liked. It was a film that you know, all half an hour of it that I saw made me angry in a in an unreasonable way. Perhaps uh, <laughs> I certainly overreacted. Uh, was, you know, hardworking, talented people, you know, made a film that everybody but me loved, uh, but it made me angry. Well, you, you know, uh, and I reacted negatively. You know what made me angry? I got to say, and not because I know you to a certain extent, Anna DuVernay's uh, reaction to you made me angry. Um, because I don't think the temperature of a reaction is a referendum on the author of the reaction. You know, I mean, this is you know, yeah. this is our next conversation for a different day. But th- that registered right. to me. I mean, if if I yeah, look, had I said the same thing about Transformers Three, right? <laughs> would she have reacted the same way? I mean, this is a director and a woman who I really admire. Likewise, yes, um, likewise. But um, but uh, look, you stick up for your friends, associates, uh, work you admire. Uh, but that, Edgar Wright is a, is, is a director a lot of people like who has very good taste in films, by the way. I just hated that film. Uh, I hated the script. I, I, I hated it. You know, I hated the first half hour that I saw anyway. I think it was an honest a, a reaction, uh, rude, unpleasant. Uh, you know, it never occurred to me that people who that anyone would ever care. But apparently they did. I mean, you know, who cares if I hated Baby Driver? Apparently people did. I mean, well, I, I would, I would just say also to wit, you know, sticking up for colleagues and associates right now, I would throw back. That's okay by me. It, but it is you okay. Know, I but think loyalty is a yes. is, 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 is a is a virtue. So, but it cuts both uh, I ways. I do not fault anyone who stuck up for, for the makers of that film. It cuts both ways because we're talking about a commentary, but we're also talking about a world now, and this is our next conversation for a different day, where sticking up blindly is. Just being a douche, if you ask me. But that's neither here nor there at, at this at, for this conversation. Hey, man, um, I think you're an artist, so it doesn't really matter what you think. What do you think based on my question? So, and I and I honestly want to thank you. You proved that time is the most valuable commodity. Uh, I want to thank you, man, and maybe we'll catch you uh, in person next time. And and if we could ever be of service here on the show, please let us know. Thank you. I always I always enjoy talking to you. Take care, Tony. Be well, man. So long. Bye bye. His famous intuition was right after all. He framed that Mexican kid Sanchez, but he didn't even need to. The kid confessed about that bomb. So, turns out Quinlan was right after all. Isn't somebody going to come and take him away? Yeah, in just a few minutes. You really liked him, didn't you? The cop did. The one who killed him. He loved him. Well, Hank was a great detective, all right. And a lousy cop. Is that all you have to say for him? 
He was some kind of a man. What does it matter what you say about people? Goodbye, Tanner. Adios. Tony admitted that there may be an art to life, but he said he wasn't an artist. I think I just caught him in a fabrication. (laughs) Get back here. (laughs) What do I win? I win nothing except my own validation. I think life is an art. I think if we think of ourselves as artists, maybe life will change. Uh, And again, art is not always the right thing, but it's, uh, you know, a thing. And it's something wherein we can accept when we do it badly, accept that we're not perfect, but also a little more meditation and premeditation never hurt anybody. Uh, I caught Tony in a lie. He is an artist (laughs) because there is a life to art and uh, you heard it here. So may you go on and paint great masterpieces today and every day because life is truly an art worth living. We want to thank Anthony Bourdain for being with us today. Um, MurmurRadio.com at MSF Murmur. Social handles, Twitter, Instagram. Gmail us, murmurradio at gmail.com. Said this a topic idea. I will find a guest and we'll just rev it up from there. iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Evergreen, downloadable, whupfm.org. It's all happening. Life is complicated. See ya.